Today we answer the question, did Oregon make a statement with that win against Washington State, or was it a survive and advance sort of game? Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked on Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster and lifelong Oregon Ducks fan. Thank you for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks, which is why if you haven't already, please like, comment, and subscribe wherever you're listening to or watching this show. Five-star views on Apple Podcasts. Those help out with the show as well, which today is brought to you by Upside. Download the free Upside app and use promo code LOCK to get $5 more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. So we've got a mailbag question to begin today's show, a fascinating one. And I love getting questions from all of you Duck fans out there. If you ever want to ask a question, you can hit me up on Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on at Ducks. Hop in the YouTube comments, drop one over there as well. Get it answered here on the show. That is how this one came to me from Brian Donahue. My question submission is I love the declarative statement here. My question submission is this is official. On the record, Brian is asking Would you frame this win as a statement win slash tone setter or a road survival win? My opinion is that Oregon does not win this game if this was the 2021 team. And it speaks volumes to the new staff and players that we are capable of comebacks like this. We have not seen halftime adjustments like that in half a decade. Maybe I'm just overhyped on an epic comeback, but throwing a deep pass on fourth with the game on the line put me fully on the landing train. I want to address everything in there, and then I'll wrap it up by answering that ever-critical question. Actually, you know what? Let, let's start with uh, the the uh, the question you began with there. Was this a road survival for Oregon? Or was this a statement when in the Pac-12 to put people on notice? In a world where you can have both, where we can swirl chocolate and vanilla frozen yogurt or chocolate and vanilla ice cream, if that's your thing, where we have hybrid cars, I think I can say it's a little bit of both. 60-40, though, I lean road survival, which is okay. I talked about yesterday on the show how in college football, not all wins are created equal. Style points matter. This game, however, against that opponent in that environment felt a little bit more like an NFL game where just getting the win is all Oregon needed to do. You just had to find a way. Wasn't pretty, wasn't perfect. A lot of things to improve upon. Dan Lanning has been very open about that. We can all see that because we watch the games and relatively understand how football works and how best to play it you know, relative to, you know, other, other people and such. We, we here at Locked on Ducks and all the supporters that I'm very grateful to have, we'll just consider ourselves in the upper echelon, shall we? Why not? Um, because the casual fans are, you know, not as into it. Okay. Anyway, so I think this is 60-40 survival. You go into a game on the road, if, anytime you're favored, that means you should win obviously, and that you're the better team and capable of being the better team. And the thing is, Oregon had chances, had they been able to execute better in the first half, particularly in the red zone, to have a sizable lead. They were outplaying Washington State in that first half, aside from the first drive. The Cougar offense was helped a number of times by penalties. That's how they ended up getting to 41 points. A lucky play at the end, 
a pick six from Bo Nix, and penalties to keep drives alive and continue to help them move down the field. 87 penalty yards in this game. That's way too many. You got to be at 50 or less. That roughing the passer was critical. DJ Johnson, hopefully his targeting gets you know overturned enough to where he doesn't have to miss the first half of the Stanford game this week. But when you're playing a good team, not a great team in Washington State, but a really good, solid team, like definitely upper half in the Pac-12, anytime you're playing them on the road, you're going into the mindset of let's just win, right? When you're at home, if this is Washington State at home, same team, but in Austin Stadium, I'd feel differently about how that game went. And I'd say, yeah, that was, uh, you know, maybe like 90% escaping with a win. But because this is on the road, makes a big difference. The betting markets always reflect that. This is a game where Oregon should feel good about having survived, but also I think showed a lot of things that can carry over into future games that make it that 40% a bit of a statement there. And you don't have to have all the style points there, but Troy Franklin has got defensive coordinators on watch. The offensive line is a menace for opposing defenses. Bo Nix hasn't been sacked. We're running the ball at will on everybody. We ran four and a half yards a carry against Georgia. Best team in the country. Didn't throw the ball particularly well, but Bo Nix wasn't sacked in that game. And Bo Nix is not playing a defense that's even close to the level that, that Georgia is this year. So I think when you look at the offense and what they are presenting, it's easy for people to take notice, and they should. But for us as Oregon fans, I think we have to approach it from the mindset of, okay, there were a lot of good things. Troy Franklin is having that sophomore breakout season. Bo Nix looks like the best form of Bo Nix so far. We're doing a lot of other things well, but also that game shouldn't have been in that situation. So I say 60-40, escape with a win, but statements were made. The offense can be explosive. There's a lot of weapons, so much so that, uh, you know, I don't know how healthy Byron Cardwell was. There's kind of been mixed reports uh, about that, but the fact that he is probably the number four running back in the room right now is a pretty great place where we're going to be. Dante Thornton had a long catch, but overall hasn't you know reached his potential statistically as a player. Doesn't mean he isn't doing a lot of really good things. There were a lot of mouths to feed here, but that's a very good problem for Oregon to have. And I think that's part of the statement you made. Addressing the rest of the question now, um, you know my opinion is that Oregon does not win this game if this was the 2021 team. I don't know if I agree with that. I, I know people have a lot of gripes about, you know, the previous four years and game management and such, and there were limitations and shortcomings. I'm, I'm never going to deny that. However, culture was never something that we addressed as a concern over the last four years as Duck fans, at least not in my experience. Did anyone look at Mario Cristobal as a coach and say, yeah, he didn't establish a, a culture with a clear identity? No, he did. There were just some things that he could have done better as a coach. But remember when, when you're saying that I don't think this team has the ability to come back like that. From an offensive explosion standpoint, the 2021 team with, with Anthony Brown and company at the helm and the way that offense you know, had success and the way they were trying to have success, maybe not. Maybe they don't come back from 12 points down in 644. But remember, there was a game 2019. I was at the Coliseum. It was a grand and glorious day. Got to be honest. Oregon was down 10-0 after a first quarter. 10-0 on the road. USC, which ended up being an 8-5 and team. 
So, you know, not top tier, but certainly respectable, comparable to what Washington State could be this year. But USC had a better offense, Cougars a better defense in this situation and such. Oregon came back to win that game 56 to 24. I don't think they had the chemistry between Anthony Brown and the receivers to make those plays to, I mean, they surely could have gotten the ball to to running backs and such. They did that uh, enough. But does Troy Franklin have five catches for 173 yards a season ago? No, because we we didn't see that last year. And he's made that sort of leap. So I, I don't agree with you there that the previous team couldn't have done that. But the other thing, too, when you compare different coaches and different staffs, they have a different way of going about it. They're going to have different strengths and weaknesses. And this offensive line, which is a credit to the previous coaching administration, by the way, is really, really good. And we'll see if this staff, two or three years from now, can build an offensive line that's comparable. But that's going to be a really tough bar to attain because this whole line is ridiculously good. Something I'll get to a little bit later in the show after I tell you all about Upside, because from cringing at the pump to getting an eye-popping check at our favorite restaurants, inflation is hitting us all where it hurts, and it really hurts. That's why I started using Upside, an incredible app for anyone who buys gas, groceries, or dines out. With every purchase, I'm earning cash back thanks to Upside. To get started, download the free Upside app. Use my promo code LOCK to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. Next, claim an offer for whatever you're buying on Upside. Check in at the business, pay as usual the debit or credit card, and get paid. In comparison to credit card rewards or loyalty programs, you can earn three times more cash back with Upside. Upside users are using more than a million dollars every week. That's probably why they have a 4.8 star rating on the app store. Download the free Upside app. Use promo code LOCK. Get $5 more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. That's $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more using promo code LOCKED. The offensive line has been incredible, haven't <laughs> they? Just uh, are really remarkable. But I want to finish up on uh, th- this question from uh, from Brian Donahue. Um, we've not seen halftime adjustments like that in half a decade. I mean, I wouldn't say the first half. I, I don't think you can compare any coaching staff to the way those Chip Kelly games played out. The first half of those games and the second half of those games were completely different football games completely different. Nick Aliotti in particular was the king of adjustments. I don't think anybody, I, I think Oregon, you know, made some adjustments. I don't think it was so dramatic that it's worthy of saying like, wow, it's comparable to that era or anything like that. No, we'll never see anything l- like that. The offense that, you, you know, was scoring fast, scored a bunch of points, always did so. But those Nick Aliotti defenses could allow 28 points in the first half and allow three in the second half. And they did that regularly. It had a very NFL feel to it. You see that at the, at the professional level, uh, pretty often or whatnot. Uh, maybe I'm just overhyped on an epic comeback, but throwing a deep pass on fourth with the game on the line, put me fully in the landing train. Okay. This is a play. I didn't talk about enough yesterday when kind of going through recapping the game, the fourth and two from Bo Nix to Bucky Irving is such a big time throw for two reasons. Number one, the offensive line gave Bo Nix an eternity to throw. This was a play that, when you watch it, is designed to hit Irving out of the backfield, which Bo Nix kind of loves to stare down, but nobody else was open anyway. It was designed to only get five or six yards. But Bo Nix had time. He didn't force the ball, which is a huge thing. I was talking extensively yesterday. I will keep reinforcing it because it's absolutely crucial. He trusts his offensive line to give him time 
and then he can sit there, let the play develop, allow a second reaction situation to come about as it did with Bucky Irving. And it was still pretty good coverage, but he came free just enough. Bo Nix threw a dime on fourth and two. Everyone talk about the throw and catch to Sean Dollars on fourth and three on the wheel route right before the pick six. Heck of a throw. Even better catch. This throw and catch between Bo Nix, Bucky Irving, not getting enough credit overall for the play that it was. But in that same note, Bo Nix has confidence in the offensive line, but Kenny Dillingham has confidence in Bo Nix. And we knew they had a year together that went well when he was at Auburn, and they went 9-3, and three, lost their bowl game, finished 9-4. and four. They beat Alabama that year. Bo Nix was a freshman, had a good freshman season. He was the freshman of the year in the SEC. And Dillingham wasn't his play caller, but he was his offensive coordinator. And those two haven't worked together in three years, but that trust is there. Because here's one difference from a season ago to now. That third and one play that resulted in a 50-yard touchdown to Troy Franklin to take the lead with a minute 20 to go. Third and one at midfield, driving for the win. A year ago, we hand that ball off. We pick up the first down. No doubt. And I, I totally get it. When Bo Nix dropped, dropped back to pass, I was like, boy, I'm surprised they're not just picking up the first down. We're running it so well. But Kenny Dillingham trusts Bo Nix. Even after the interception, he kept taking shots. He kept dialing them up. Bo Nix kept hitting guys. He hit Hudson. He hit Thornton. He hit Franklin a number of times. Third down and one. And you're calling what, what Bo Nix uh, described in his postgame presser is a play that they run often or a look that they run often. And Troy Franklin has the option of where to go right there. And Nix knew where he was going to go. Got the safety to open his hips. Franklin beats him to the inside. And Bo Nix throws a strike right on the money for the go-ahead touchdown. That is an awesome, awesome football play. Because there are so many moving parts. OC's got to trust the quarterback. Quarterback has to trust the offensive line, and he's got to have chemistry with who is clearly Oregon's best wide receiver. And it all came to fruition on that play to give Oregon the lead, which they ultimately kept as the game went on. Uh, I, I think that was, I think it was an awesome moment. And, and I think so early in this coaching staff's tenure here with the Ducks for all those things to happen on the road when you're trying to come back in a game that, you should win by double digits based on how it had played out, but you hadn't executed certain moments to come back to him and say, I trust you to make that play. And for Nick's to go out and trust all his guys and to go out and execute was a really, really good thing for Oregon to see. And again, back to the original question, I'd say 60, 40 escaped with a win because you played at a level and your team is capable of being at a level where you could have won that by two touchdowns. But they didn't, and then once you get to that point, which happens over the course of a season, you find a way to win, and Oregon did. Thanks for the question, Brian. Keep them coming. YouTube comments, Twitter at Smalls underscore 55 or at Locked On Ducks. Slide right up into the direct messages. The offensive line for Oregon has been incredible. And, I mean, they're the only unit in the nation that has not allowed a sack. And Alex Forsyth and Ryan Walk and TJ Bass and Marcus Harper, who's filling in for Stephen Jones. He filled in for Ryan Walk at one point. Big Salas up there. We've seen Josh Connerly get uh, some run, the five-star freshman recruit, as you know, a part of that jumbo package. We've seen Dawson Jaramillo rotate in from time to time. All these guys are doing a remarkable job. 
But another thing you can't over- overlook, what I was just talking about is Bo Nix and Kenny Dillingham. Because anyone who studies NFL film stuff, I listen to a lot of Colin Coward. My favorite segment of the week is when he brings on Greg Cosell. And what he talks about all the time, he's worked for NFL Films for 42 years, if you did not know. As you can tell, I really do listen to the show quite often, and Cosell is the best. What he talks about is how quarterbacks can be responsible for sacks. They can run themselves into it, or they can check to a protection or a play that is not where you should be, and that gives the defense an advantage to get pressure on the quarterback. Bo Nix has had, and had in this game, pressure coming at him before but he's getting rid of the ball where he needs to. And I think that's what was missing for him at Auburn because the book on Bo Nix is, well, you just got to blitz him. Just got to get him under pressure. Well, I've seen Bo Nix under pressure a couple times this year. He's either smartly thrown the football away or he's made a completion that resulted in a positive gain. The most reliable guy in this instance has been Chase Coda, but we've seen a couple of these RPOs where he slings it out to, to Coda or Chris Hudson on, on the perimeter and gets rid of the ball, or he gets it off to a tight end quickly, or there are a myriad of factors there. But that, again, is the quarterback and the offensive line working in tandem, understanding the protections, understanding the coverages, understanding the hots for when pressure does come. Because sometimes you got five blockers, and you got six or seven guys blitzing. Where are you going to go with the football? And Bo Nix has done a really good job. If he continues to play like that, he could have his best season ever as a college football quarterback. And I don't think that that's overselling things. He's completing 72% of his passes right now. I don't know if it stays there, but if it does, that'd be a pretty massive leap from one year to the next. He was 61% of career best a season ago. But part of the reason is how Oregon's playing against the pressure. And the offensive line, when the other teams are, are just rushing four, Bo Nix got all day to throw. He can go wherever he wants. Doesn't matter. Washington State has a couple of good edge players, led by Ron Stone Jr., reigning first-team All-Pac-12 performer. Bonix wasn't sacked. Bonix was barely hit. Bonix barely had to deal with a great jersey in his face in the backfield. That is a remarkable thing for the offensive line, for Bonix and Kenny Dillingham. Those three individuals or units are doing a great job collectively. That's how you stay out of sacks, and they're doing that right now. And it's part of the reason, a big part of the reason, why this Oregon offense has been so effective and been so explosive. Because you can't hit Troy Franklin on a 20-yard dig route on a two- or three-man route concept if you don't have time to throw. You can't hit Chris Hudson for a downfield shot if you can't set your feet, plant your back foot, and throw. You can't hit Dante Thornton down the field doing the same thing. You can't hit a lot of these throws that he's hit to Franklin and Coda in the middle of the field that are down the field, or Cam McCormick had uh, a catch as well. Maybe not this week. I think it was last week. But you can't do any of that if you don't have time, and that is being provided to Bo Nix, and he is capitalizing and showing us what we hoped he could be, which is a better version of himself with a good offensive line, and he's utilizing it right now. Improvements are still needed for the Ducks. There's a couple things that that really stood out. And, you know, Brian asked his question about, you know, adjustments and such. The defensive adjustments, they came eventually. But learning how to stop an RPO tunnel screen prior to the fourth quarter for a game-sealing pick six by Mace Funa might have helped the defense out a little bit. Might have helped the team out a little bit. 
I understand you get burned for plays, but burned by a well-designed, well-executed play sometimes. And Washington State is good at those screens. They ran them really, really well. But the fact that it took until the fourth quarter was reflective of something we saw in the Georgia game. And that's these quick hitters out to the perimeter should be the playbook for any team going against Oregon's defense right now. Because consistently, Oregon has been inconsistent at being able to stop it. And they made a play late, but overall, what were the yards after catch for for Washington State wide receivers? Felt like most of their passing yards came that way. Cam Ward is just sidearming it, slinging it around. And these these guys are making the catch on the perimeter. And then they've just got a bunch of room every single time. And, And Georgia did the same thing. They're just throwing these little bubbles out on the edge. And for whatever reason, you know, BYU didn't do it excessively. And Eastern Washington doesn't have the personnel to do it, but Washington State did. And that's why they had over 400 yards of total offense in a game where they ran for just 53. Oregon's run defense is sensational. The defensive line was great. Again, they had their best game, as I'm going to talk about here in a moment overall. But Justin Flo and Noah Sewell are a big part of the reason that no one's running the ball on Oregon. BYU can run the ball. Georgia kind of ran the ball, but mostly they were doing it through the air. And now Washington State couldn't run the ball. The formula to beat this Oregon defense is to hit them on the perimeter and make them make plays in space. They've been inconsistent at doing that. Did it well against BYU, Georgia, and Washington State? Big-time struggle. Big, big-time struggle. I think that's got to be better if it, because those are easy completions. You find a team like Washington, for instance, has got some athletes out there on the perimeter. If you're just letting them get quick hitters, and allowing them to gain six, seven, eight, or more yards just by slinging it out, that gets Michael Penix in a rhythm, and it and it makes it harder for your defense to defend because now you have to come up a little bit more, and you're more vulnerable to get beat over the top, which they haven't been a lot this year, but you can't allow the offense to easily move the ball. you got to make them work for it a little bit more. Another improvement i like to see offensively, third down for Oregon. Now, this is uh, you know, where I miss Joe Moorhead. I talked about this a lot in the offseason. I'm not saying I don't like Dillingham. I do. He's still growing as a play caller. That's an important theme for Oregon fans to remember. This is the first time he's been a full-time play caller at the Power 5 level. Um, maybe he's done it at a previous st- I don't think he has. He's only 32 years old. He's going to learn. He's going to improve. And everything between the numbers is versatile, explosive, smart, and well-executed. And it's gotten better from the Georgia game where some execution areas were lacking. So I expect there to continue to be improvement on that front. But Oregon has to be better on third down. Last two games, they're 8 of 23 on third down. The good news, they're 4 of 4 on fourth in the last couple of weeks against Washington State and BYU. But you've got to be able to not force yourself to keep drives alive or score with fourth down conversions because eventually you're not going to convert them all. And Oregon's been pretty close to perfect this season on fourth down. And that's not a that's not a trend that you can have play out for 12 games. You got to just be better on on third down converting, you know, just over a third of them through the last two weeks. That's uh, that's better. Five of five, actually, on fourth down over, over the last couple of weeks are uh, the Ducks. But I tell you what, there's been some major improvement. In one particular area. And I was worried about going into BYU. Was worried about it going into Washington State. And it got better against Washington State. And that's the pass rush. The pass rush for Oregon was the best it was all year. 11 tackles for loss. Four sacks of Cameron Ward. 
and a pretty consistent amount of pressure being applied on the Cougars quarterback as well. More than we'd seen all season long. All season long. DJ Johnson, again, there was like one particular show host, I don't remember who, who said he might be poised for a breakout game going into last week. I'll have to go back and, you know, jog the memory and such. He had two tackles for loss and two sacks in this game. And that's not even his entire impact. Have to remember that with the defensive line. You might look and say, well, so-and-so only had, you know, half a tackle for loss and no sacks. How impactful could he have been? I don't know. The king of making an impact without getting stats is Casey Rogers, who I really, really like. But Casey Rogers, Brandon Dorless, who I think had his best game of the season by far, DJ Johnson, these guys were causing problems for Cam Ward. And he missed some throws that he's capable of making because he had pressure in his face because he was starting to get rattled a little bit. And that's what Oregon's defense needs to continue to do as the season progresses. There are some good quarterbacks in the Pac-12 they're going to face this year. Michael Penix is one. Cam Rising is one. Chance Nolan's capable of being good. But how do you get a quarterback off their game? You can't expect to stay blanketed on receivers for every single play. What you can do is get consistent pressure. Don't have them feeling comfortable in the pocket. That was a big step forward. And I, I really like Casey Rogers a lot. He seems to just have a nose for getting to the football. And, and Dorless showed his versatility, lines up inside and outside. He, he looks like an NFL guy, and we're definitely grateful that he came back. And he was beating his guys one-on-one and forcing Cam Ward off his spots time and time again. Uh, I mean, on a third and eight in that first half, he beats his guy, forces him outside the pocket. Ward throws the pass, and Keon Ware Hudson bats it down back to him and holds him to a field goal. Well, that doesn't show up on the stat sheet. It's not a sack for Brandon Dorless, but guess what? He just saved Oregon four points by beating his guy, or potentially four points. You don't know how that play would have gone. So I'm really, really encouraged by that, but... You know, defending on the perimeter, third downs on offense, got to be better. But that that pass rush, we've been waiting for it to pop. That was a good week. That was a good game for the Oregon defensive line, the pass rush. Okay, we're closing with a mailbag question here today. That is a a little bit unique, but a little bit of fun. Because you know what? That's what we're doing at the end of the day. What did Dan Lanning say when he was asked about shout and coaching that and whatnot? I also... Uh, don't know if it's confirmed, but heard Oregon needs to have like a 20 point lead for guys to go and dance with shout. But to me, that's just motivation. If it's true again, not entirely sure. That's just motivation for guys to go out and build a big lead, which they could very do against a Stanford team that, you know, upset them a year ago in Palo Alto. That's going to be a motivating factor for a lot of guys this week, but also Stanford looks like they're kind of destined to be under 500 again this year. And the Ducks should be able to get a, a, a big lead. But uh, beginner Catholic who asked yesterday's question, and I forgot, uh, he said that uh, my penance was to do this. Uh, he wanted me to put together a, a hypothetical Star Wars script. And I could probably write a better Star Wars script than what we've seen in the sequel trilogy so far, because those three movies are a collective disaster. Um but he wanted me to cast uh, Oregon players and coaches as uh, main characters. I don't know how deep you want me to go with this, but here's how here's how far I, I got to it. Um, the, the, the concept behind where I would go with Star Wars is, you know, if I was if I were writing and such is kind of a Game of Thrones style. I didn't spend enough time thinking about what all the details and such would be. But rather than just good and evil. Think about it as a convoy of individuals from 
a respective planet chasing one particular leadership role that has symbolic power. Maybe in Star Wars, it would be the Darksaber from Mandalore. That'd probably be a good place to start. I think you could have Pac-12 teams kind of be representative of various planets in Star Wars. Oregon and Oregon State would, of course, come from Endor because trees. Duh. That's an easy one. The Arizona schools would come from Tatooine. Um, the Washington schools, because they've got the water up there. You know, Seattle a little more so than Pullman, of course, but they'd probably get Naboo. I, I think you I think you could keep going along that front. The LA schools, big cities, that's definitely Coruscant, right? So I think that would be the uh, the model I would go with here. And I've never done any sort of creative writing, so this might sound all horrible and terrible, but you know, I'm do, doing the best I can with the question I'm given. I always say I'll answer any question you ask me. Just send it to me. Twitter at smalls underscore fifty five or at locked on ducks or hop in the YouTube comments. You do any of that, I'll answer it here on the show. In terms of casting, I think for the, uh, for the Ducks, Dan Lanning is our, our Princess Leia figure, you know, the, the unheralded leader who we are, unquestioned leader, who we are following and who we believe in and, and who is able to rally the troops literally and metaphorically because of his or her leadership capabilities. Um, Bo Nix is definitely from the sequel trilogy, Poe Dameron, you know, little bit of a hothead sometimes, but at the end of the day comes through when you need him to. I was really proud of that one. I hope you all liked it. And then our Jedi, you know, the wisest, most experienced, seemingly unbeatable soldiers that are essential to everything that we are going to do are most definitely the offensive linemen because they are experienced. They are wise. They put they picked up some complicated blitzes on Saturday, and Bonix still has not been sacked. So I think you'd have teams coming from their respective planets, challenging for the title of ruling Mandalore, a very historically important planet. To do that, you have to claim the dark saber in combat, and that's the Pac-12 championship that Oregon is facing this year. I hope that's good enough because that's all you get. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and as always, go ducks.